0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the United Podcast. I'm Sam Homewood and with me is... David May. Hey, and once again, unfortunately there is no Helen Evans, which is a real shame because she would love doing this. We are at Carrington. We are in the Academy building and we're really excited because today we're going to sit down with someone different. We've spoken to lots of former and current Academy graduates, but we are today talking to the head of the Academy, Nick Cox.
1: Maisie, do you know Nick? I don't know, no, but he, obviously he's got one of the most important jobs at the club, um, overseeing all different age groups and uh, making sure that the academy brings and continues to bring good players in.
0: And like, United's you know, academy is astonishing, isn't it? The history of it is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And this is the man, I guess,
1: who right now is in charge of it all. That's it, no pressure Nick, but um, yeah, I suppose when you're you know, head of an academy at such a club like Manchester United, There has to be pressure on you Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, Manchester United has been brought up on youth and, um, you know, it's a challenging time for everybody. But, you know, we've got to get the best young kids in and around Europe, in and around Manchester, more importantly, because I think that's vitally important to get homegrown players who know what it's like to actually play for Manchester United who who want to play for Manchester United. So, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this one.
0: Very well said. And I mean, this is a treat, hopefully, for everybody, because we don't often get this kind of access to people at the club with these kind of roles, so hopefully we'll get a lot of insight and it'll be really interesting. So, this is it. This is Nick Cox. Nick Cox, welcome to my Podcast. Thank you. How are you?
2: I'm all right. It's been a busy day, as always, here at the Academy, but... I'm all right, thank you.
0: In your role as head of the academy, how often are you doing stuff like this?
2: Um, I would suggest it's on the increase. You, you know, biggest club in the world with a reputation for developing young players. Yeah, we get all sorts of people wanting to know what we're up to and, and all sorts of things on camera. So
1: this is so a So what, what are you up to? What's the day-to-day life of Nick Cox? The one thing... You can be sure is that no two days
2: look the same. Mm-hmm. So if you think about our youngest players are eight and nine, the eldest are twenty three. We've pretty much got activity going off here or at the cliff or Littleton Road, seven days a week, eight o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night. Because obviously the the younguns are at school, so they're with us in the evenings. The full time boys are here in the mornings and the afternoons. It's it's hectic. And eventful, so I could be doing anything from observing coaches, watching groups play, meeting agents, doing bits and pieces to camera, trying to, obviously the role's a leadership role, so you're trying to mm. also make sure the department's got direction. And yeah, so I think, was it last week or the week before? On on the same week, we had two groups in Dallas, one group in Holland, a group in Monaco, and the youth team playing here at Carrington. It's a busy... Busy old place But good fun Never boring
0: There's absolutely loads That I'd love to ask you and, I, and we're going to try And get to as much As we possibly can Because I think your Job is fascinating And I imagine As a result You are going to be A fascinating guest On this podcast And I don't know If you've heard any uh, But usually We work fairly chronologically through a player's career. So we talk about their upbringing and their life and their first inspirations in football. And I think we'll try and do a similar sort of thing with you if that's okay. But occasionally there might just be stuff that's exciting to talk about. So we might go all over the place. So what what was your interest in football? How did that develop for you? So like every kid,
2: I was an avid footballer with the dream of being a professional footballer didn't work out quite apparent quite early on that wasn't going to be the case I played at a reasonable level but as time goes by what I perceived to be a reasonable level as a young kid was miles away from it with hindsight um, and I, I I, ended up venturing into a degree in sports science because I didn't really know what else to do and that then led into me being a, a PE teacher for several years um, and then I was lucky enough really to, to stumble across some work at Watford Football Club and I had a really beautiful 12 year period at Watford where I had a go at absolutely everything so I did most of the jobs that there are in, a, in an academy which probably sets me up quite well for my job now. So I've got
0: a list of them I think. Okay, so go, on, uh, then, go for
2: the it. The development centre coordinator.
0: Yeah. What does that mean?
2: That's the little ones, so kids at um, seven and eight before they sign their very first registration at nine they're turning up, they're having
0: a great time, they're trying to work out if this is the club that they want to spend a bit of time with. And then you were a football development officer, which yeah. sounds really good, but again, not 100% on
2: what that is. Okay, so that was Watford um, then and still now had an amazing reputation in their community. So that was taking the football club out to the community. So working in schools, working with local coaches, um, working with young players that potentially might join the academy at some point.
0: Which they went to head of education, which feels more obvious, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, headmaster.
0: How, how do you how 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 do you educate a group of essentially young footballers? With, because I suppose the focus is to make them yeah. better at football.
2: So the head of education role is really about making sure that whilst your players are engaging with the academy, they are managing to fulfil their duties to their education as well. And that looks a little bit different across the age groups. So the really young players are just with us in the evenings. So that one's just about having a relationship with their school to make sure that if we're off on a tour or we've got a particularly hectic training schedule that we're managing to work together to to make sure that we can make sure that they maximise their education and still have a good go at, at enjoying their football. As the boys get a bit older, They leave school at 16, you're then starting to take on their education. Back in those days at Watford, the job was really just to help the boys through their formal education. It was just me on my own. At United now, we've got a whole education team, and it goes beyond just trying to help the boys with their formal education. We've got a whole informal education program where we're actually using the experience of being here to teach them about whatever is topical. So making sure that the boys are fully aware of what. Munich mentor this football club. Um, next week, we've got some great work going off, talking to Holocaust survivors, trying to help them understand cultural differences and things like that. So that, that type of role has evolved massively in in what would that be, 15 or 20 years since I took that job on academies and you know, the experience they offer beyond just football has just gone through the roof, which is a good thing.
0: Really I, good thing. I was going to ask you about that because what's happening... Now, as you mentioned, the Holocaust survivor. There was also, I think, an astronaut came in and spoke yeah. to players. Obviously, former players come in and, and give talks. Yeah. And the club has a, an education link with Arsenal, Mersey, right? Yeah. So after Rashford scored his two against Arsenal on his Premier League yeah. debut, he was in the common room the next day. Yeah, absolutely. How do those kind of links come about, and how involved does the club become in the formal education of players? People like Marcus Rashford when he's become a part of the first team.
2: As the boys get older their education their football become almost intertwined the Ashland Mersey relationship is a really interesting one and not something that many people are aware of or that actually gets talked about so it's great that you've mentioned it Um, Ashland Mersey is a 12 minute drive around the corner Um, when we first moved to this site many years ago 20 odd years ago um, Sir Alex and Dave Bushell actually thought that you know what we're going to need to find someone locally that we can partner with and you know Dave went off and he looked at all the local schools and and decided that Ashton, not just geographically, but because of what it offered, was the perfect fit for this football club. And if you think about the boys from over the years that have moved from different parts of the country, when you move them, you can't just move them to play football. You've got to move them and you've got to think yeah. about, well, what does this mean for their education? What does this mean for their, for their life? Where are they going to live? How are they going to still be a, a well-rounded young person? So we talk all the time about Yeah, we want our boys to be good footballers, but we've somehow got to manage childhood. You only get one go at childhood, so it's really important that it's as normal as possible and that kids get up to all the sorts of things kids should be getting up to. And you really only get one go at education, so we've got to try and juggle those three things. So having a partner school allows you to make sure that you can dovetail those things. So I think it would have been Chris Eagles, Kieran Richardson, people like that, when they moved from south to north as young players all those years ago, Would have been educated at astronaut mersey so that's that's for their formal education the astronauts and things like that that's informal that's that's us just using the power of this football club and all the connections we've got to inspire young people to maybe help them in their football careers by introducing them to other elite people or showing them um some current affairs or some topical stuff that it's just useful to know as a young person But also knowing that, do you know what? Not all of our boys are going to play in the first team. We've got the best record of putting young players in our first team. We're really good at it. We've got the best record of putting young players into other people's first team over the years. Consistently for 80 odd years, we're the best. But not all of them get there. So this process can't Mm. just be about one outcome. This process has to be about enriching people's lives coming to this football club you've got to leave it better than you arrive so we've got to be a wonderful addition to people's childhood we have got to make sure we show them stuff teach them skills introduce them to new people make friends travel around the world have an amazing time so when you leave here whenever that may be you are set up to go and be a really successful adult whether that's
1: on the pitch or otherwise
0: was your academy at Blackburn like that
1: Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. We didn't have academies then, mate. No, I was just thrown in the deep end and that's it, get on with it. Neither sink or swim. But what would be the ratio of players making it from nine to the first team? So in terms of
2: our football club, we have the the best track record Mm -hmm. of young players going from nine through to the first team, whether that be Marcus Rashford or Jesse Lingard or or whoever. Um, But the facts are, It's a small percentage, a really small percentage. My disappointment is academies often get unfairly held to account for their only measure of success being how many players did you put on the pitch? And look, our role here at the football club is to try and support boys Mm -hmm. to fulfil their dream, to be part of a winning first team, to carry on all those traditions, to make sure that fans are seeing what they want to see, which is homegrown boys playing with the passion that a supporter would do and who understands the club That that's that's our driver that's our that's what we are trying to achieve but that has to be the by-product of an amazing process an amazing experience and I get a little bit tired of having to defend the work we do to people who say oh football clubs and academies they they just give kids an unfair time and they ruin people's lives it's for me academies not just ours but football every yeah, academy yeah, yeah, yeah. Since, yeah since your upbringing of no, no, yeah. uh, Blackburn yeah Academies, the investment, the resource, the people, it's gone through the roof. They're amazing places to be. And I would suggest that some kids make debuts. Occasionally, some players might have a tough time inadvertently, but that that's true of any walk of life. Right? Yeah. The majority of kids have a brilliant experience and leave better than they arrived. And look, everything that we do here is synonymous with real good, wellbeing right you've got a purpose you're meeting and connecting with new people you're engaged in physical activity when you're here you're not somewhere else getting up to mischief yeah. it gives structure it gives um, you know it's just a really inspiring place to be and all the people that work here and at other clubs but particularly here are wired up just because they love to help see young people develop
0: so after a head of education yep. you were academy manager And then head of the academy at Watford. That was like a 10-year progression. Yeah, yeah. That must have been an incredible journey. And I guess you'd learn an incredible amount. And then how much of that have you taken to this role here?
2: I got really, really fortunate. So I think if you're going to be successful at anything, you've got to have some, you know, God-given attributes. You've got to have a great attitude. Um, You've got to work really hard, but you've got to get lucky as well. And I look at my Watford experience and... I got lucky in that yeah I had to work hard and I got a job but I was then surrounded by just amazing people and at the time I didn't realise it I just thought we were all normal guys having a good go doing our very best but as things unfold you suddenly realise you know what I was surrounded by not only some amazing people but I was in an environment that was an unbelievable environment and I would put a lot of that down to Graham Taylor Um, sadly Graham Taylor, you say his name and the first thing that springs to mind is England and the headlines. The real Graham Taylor was the most phenomenal man who took a football club from the third division and took them into Europe. And not only did that, not only built a football club, but built a community around it and was innovative and, you know, set up the country's first football in the community programme and a family stand. And it was his values and morals that shaped... The football club even after he'd left and come back there are a lot of long-standing staff there that just lived by this code that he'd laid down informally so that was an amazing environment to be in but then i was lucky enough to just rub shoulders on a daily basis with youth team coaches and academy coaches who've gone on to do great stuff so i would have been you've probably got the list yeah, there yeah, Brendan rogers
0: AD boothroyd Malky Mackay, sean dyche mark warburton yeah,
2: there's some of them and, and several more. There was, um, I would people don't necessarily talk about Dick Bate. He's he's no longer with us, sadly, but he was, in my mind, the world's leading coach educator and he was working there as well. And those people as well, they were all there at the same time and the football club was small and football clubs didn't have as many staff back then. So you're literally sitting around a, a dining table at lunchtime with Sean Dyche, Malky Mackay. Adi Boothroy, Brendan Rogers, it was incredible. Mike Warburton to see what those people have gone on to achieve, and I was the new boy sitting quietly, hoping that they didn't ask me too many questions because it was quite not intimidating, but you had to be, you had to be, uh, yeah, on your toes to make sure that you could fit in in an environment like that. Yeah, and um, it was it was a privilege to just learn through being around those sorts of people, catching bits of wisdom on a daily basis. Um, and that allied to the fact I got to have a go at all the jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that's a great business model for a football club, but it worked perfectly for me Mm -hmm. that I I had a go at all these roles, made some mistakes, and, you know, learnt from them. It's pretty much, I've learnt a lot since then, but it's certainly an amazing foundation that prepares you for... The things that I've gone on to do since then.
0: And during that time, you got 50 players into the first team over a few years, including Jaden Sancho.
2: Uh, yeah, well, he never hit the first team. He never hit <laughs> yeah, the first course, team, yeah. Jaden. But no,
0: you're right. We, we got an,
2: an enormous amount of young boys graduating into the first team. To give that a bit more context, Watford had no money. We were on the brink of administration. We didn't have any external investment. The business plan for me was one of the the greatest untold stories in football in that we had to survive by... Developing kids, putting them in the first team, staying in the championship and potentially selling players. At the same time, maybe just investing in some mm. unheard of players like Troy Deeney at the time and hoping that you know they became of value to the club. We used to finish like 14th, 15th in the championship every year, six or seven years in a row. And I think people probably looked at that and thought it was fairly unremarkable. But inside, we knew that that was a, a major achievement. So part of that was... Young players in the first team. Most of those boys didn't live any more than twelve miles away from Vicarage Road, so that made it even more of an achievement. Um, and yeah, it was it was really satisfying to be able to regularly help young players start their careers in in the first team. Whether they just continued playing at Watford or whether they went on to other things, it was different for everybody. But yeah, Jaden was was one of those young boys that that was there from a really young age. Actually, he'd been kind of eight or nine. I think I left just before he did, so I think he'd been about 14 when I left to go to Sheffield United and he eventually left to go
1: somewhere else in yeah. blue. When you talk about the, the, the locality of a lot of those lads, 12 miles from Vicarage Road, yeah. how, how important is it, do you think, that United still have that home blood as well? I think it's really important that people understand the club yeah, and it's really
2: important that you understand everything that's gone before us, even for staff as well. But yeah, you've yeah. got to know what came before to mm-hmm. be able to understand what a privilege it is, but also to know how to behave moving forwards. I don't necessarily think that that means you have to be born in no. Manchester. Yeah, yeah, obviously, my. Personal burning desire is for this place to be as accessible as possible to local boys. At first and foremost, mm-hmm. there's rules and regulations that kind of determine where you can recruit from. But I think we've got a duty to make sure that we've we've opened our doors to as many young players as possible. And you touch on that. There, there's uh, rules and regulations. What are those? Um, so you can only recruit from within an hour up until. Uh, under the 12th season. Then it's an hour and a half. And I was driving. Up until, yeah, that's right. Up until 16, it's an hour and a half. You can go nationally at 14, but only if you can demonstrate that you've got the right resources in place in terms of education, and which we yeah, have, by the yeah, way, yeah. we are brilliant at that sort of stuff. But in terms of making sure that boys have got a really healthy off-the-pitch support network. And at 16, it's just changed, hasn't it? So at 16, we can now bring boys from all over the UK we used to be Europe, but obviously that, that has changed somewhat come 31st of December, whenever yeah, it was, and yeah, Brexit yeah. and all of that. So there's some regulations about where we can go. For me, first and foremost, let's open our door, doors to to the local kids. Mm-hmm. And then, this is the Man United, we, we need the best. So then you have to start to add the best talent that you possibly can to that. But you don't have to be a Man United fan. You don't have to be on no. the doorstep. But I do believe that you've got a duty to... If you are here and you're going to pull on a red shirt, you have to understand the club. You have to know what it means. You've got to understand what the fans expect. You, you've got to know what happened in between 58 and 68. You've got to understand what all of our predecessors mm-hmm. achieved and the non-negotiables that they laid down. That's 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 a given, which is why it's important to me that our curriculum of education, whether it be football or not, our boys have got to understand the community. They've got to understand... Munich they've got to understand some of the significant events in our history
0: Now you talk about all of that and understanding the club but does that come with added pressure to you because obviously the record of this academy to produce first team players stretches back to 1937 it's over 4,000 games and to put that into context the next best team in the Premier League is Everton and they they had a run of Twenty years just over a thousand games, and that finished a couple of years ago, so it's a just extraordinarily unique thing in this country, and that's now in your hands ultimately yeah it's
2: um it's a privilege isn't it a real privilege um is it a pressure yeah to a degree. It's a healthy pressure, though, so I I can sit here and celebrate all those statistics, but those statistics don't belong to me. They belong to the club. Mm -hmm. They belong to all the brilliant people that have done my job before and all the brilliant coaches that have ever passed through. This is a collective over time. Tony Whelan talks about the fact we're just carrying the baton, all right? Jimmy Murphy gave us the baton in terms of youth development. We're still carrying it. It's my job to carry it. And I think what's important as well That 4,000 games isn't a manufactured marketing stunt. It's not like everyone was walking around every day going, got to get to 4,000 and you better tell the manager. that. That's just happened organically Mm -hmm. over time because it's what this place does. It's what the fans expect. It's what has seen us through our best days, right? And certainly served us through our worst days was young players, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms of Munich, it was young players that were going to help us survive that period of time. And if you look at any success we've had, you can find a group of homegrown players there as well. So that figure's organic. Um, it's happened by accident, but it's a, it's a lovely pressure to have. If there was no pressure and people didn't know that we even existed, yeah, you'd be packing up and going home early, wouldn't you? Uh, there'd be no point to it all. So it's it's fun, really good fun.
0: I suppose the, the environment you described at Watford is so different to what's here at United. How did, how did you find that to, to be at a place that Like you said, the finances were, everything was very difficult and you were having to get players in the first team out of necessity as opposed to here where the resources are immense.
2: Yeah. Chalk and cheese in terms of resource and size and spotlight and media and all of those things. But actually the principles of youth development don't change. They don't change at all. And it's about coaches that are really passionate about young people. It's about finding young people that have got this fire to want to be the best that they can be. It's about being patient. It's about nurturing. It's about making sure everyone has a regular opportunity to, to get on a pitch and play. There's so many principles of youth development that don't change no matter where you go. It's some of the stuff around the outside that's different when you get here. And actually part of the job is knowing that we've got all the resource to, for example, last week, jump on an aeroplane and go to Monaco with the under-23s. But at the same time as having all that resource, making the place feel like we've got nothing. We've got to make this place feel humble. We've got to make this place feel like we're striving for something better than what we've currently got. So that that's the challenge. It's having everything but making it feel like we've got nothing. It's keeping people grounded. It's making it feel normal. But the principles of youth development don't change. you just got to get a little bit better at chatting on microphones and standing in front of TV yeah. fans, it's all that sort of stuff but it's, it's a big jump but that—that that is you know that's the, the same for every player or every coach or
1: anyone who's ever joined this football club what, what would you say to young kids coming through as a as a 14 year old kid what would be the fundamental things that you have to look out for here? obviously your schoolwork work's got to be bang on you've got to obviously train hard and yeah look at that, but then you look at the first team and you look at Alanga just breaking into the first team Mm -hmm. who's done ever so well this season. Do you then think Alanga's tucked away now, he's now with the first team, come through the youth. Mm -hmm. Do you then tick that box off as a player coming through? There's a point, it's that a player has
2: moved on and you know he's not going to come back into your world of having to formally support, but the process of Supporting young men is involves such a strong relationship. Mm. You're gonna build such a strong relationship that never goes away. That doesn't no. mean that Anthony's not gonna pop back to have a cup of tea with the coaches and want to hang out and visit his mates and all that sort yeah, of stuff yeah, as well. Yeah. So you you do to a degree like his training program and and you know
1: his
2: his week is purely mapped out by the first team now. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that the relationships aren't still there and there isn't that great kind of um, rapport with him. There's other boys that are not quite as far developed, through yeah, that journey yeah. who are maybe just straddling the two and then there has to be really kind of joined up conversations between the first team staff and the academy staff to map out what a week or a month might look like in terms of what his training programme will look like, where might he play yeah. um, his games, where might he get his minutes. And then there's other boys that are a little bit further off that still, and they're just purely under the the dual restriction of the academy. Mm. In in terms of the first part of your question there for a 14-year-old boy, we have to get into a world where we keep reminding ourselves that 14 is so far away from arriving that you've just got to, A, really enjoy yourself, be a normal kid, give it your all, sort yourself out of school, make sure that your education is... um, Uh, is taken care of but most importantly don't compare yourself to other people your job is to turn up this isn't academies aren't about teams and I'm sure we'll get onto the youth team in a minute and the youth cup but our job isn't to produce winning teams we've got to teach our kids how to be part of a winning team we've got to teach them how to be fiercely competitive and be ready to be in a first team that's in the toughest league in the world but the job isn't to put out winning teams the job is to help individuals Maximise their potential Be a team player And being part of a team Helps you to maximise your potential So for each individual Don't worry about what anyone else is up to Are you better than you were yesterday? Are you better than you were last week? Are you better than you were last season? It's simply that It's That has to be your focus And the other one is People in football We spend so much time looking forward Who are we playing next week? When's the end of my contract? Where am I trying to get to? you got to enjoy the moment sometimes because yeah. this is an amazing place and there's going to be some wonderful experiences coming your way. Sometimes just take a breath, enjoy the journey and experience where you are today because I'm pretty sure at the end of it, it's you'll look back on your time as a youth team player as some of the fondest. I don't know what your memories are like, but yeah. I chatted to, you know, when Buddy was here and working in the department. For everything he achieved in his career, he'd tell you that, some of his fondest memories were just playing with his mates in the youth. Gosh, yeah. You don't get a chance to play with your mates again. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that's
0: the way it goes. So you have to, you have to appreciate where you are and enjoy it. I don't know how you're feeling. I'm absolutely buzzing. Imagine being You'd be so motivated every day. We've only been here half an hour. That's what you need. Don't I it, think I, I might be going to win the World Cup. <laughs> uh, you predicted where we're going next the FA Youth Cup obviously this season is a massive season the FA Youth Cup Uh, can you tell us about how the year's gone and and how wonderful that's been so from the point of view of the FA Youth Cup to date you know we're
2: sitting looking at a a final in a couple of weeks time Um, it's been a wonderful run for them We've had a bit of luck. We've been drawn at home. I think mm-hmm. we've only played one game away from home um, and pretty much the performances as a team have been great. We've seen some wonderful individual performances and as a result we've seen some scorelines that have taken care of themselves. It's been been magical. Aside all of that, you know, that is just a byproduct of the staff and the players on a daily basis turning up, improving, fixing the bits that are broken, keep working hard. So, you know, those same boys have also been in the A, playing in the regular Saturday games program. They've been in the Champions League teams. Um, They'll have played in the EFL trophy earlier in the season. So the FA Youth Cup is just one strand of things that have happened this season. It's gone quite well. Um, I I don't get too carried away. Winning the Youth Cup, if they were to win it, that would be a wonderful, wonderful experience for the boys and the coaches and for our academy and we know that the history that the youth cup has at this place so an opportunity to to be in the history books.
0: Well, you mentioned Nicky Butt, but I mean, in the class of 92, he says that his FA Youth Cup medal sits alongside his mm-hmm. Champions League medal yeah. because it was the best thing he could win at the time. Yeah. Kieran Richardson has been on the podcast and he told us how important it was to win it and how excited he was to win it and the history of that competition to this club. So I guess for the, the players in particular, it must be massive. And their coach is Travis Binion, right? Yeah. Who you worked, we didn't really talk about it, but you worked with when you were at Sheffield United.
2: Yeah. So, uh, wait, uh, what,
0: what was, at uh, Sheffield United, you have the same role you were head of the
2: academy? So I went to from Watford to Sheffield United. I went in as head of academy. I think I was there four years. Um, I didn't know Travis before I got to Sheffield United. I think he was the under-16s coach when I arrived. Um, and in my time there, he went on to do the 18s, 23s. And actually when I left, he became my successor. He became the head of the academy at Sheffield United. We had a good go. So, I mean, four years in youth development is a... A blink of an eye it's uh, but we had some great Travis had been there a very long while I think he ended up doing 18, 19 years there young player coached the youngest age groups worked work right the way through but in the four years I was there we had a reasonable amount of success in working with young players David Brooks Dom Calvert-Lewin Aaron Ramsdale and then many others that actually debuted at Sheffield United that some of which are, are still making really good careers for themselves so we had a really good time um, he is an inspirational coach, passionate about young players, and um, when the opportunity came up to bring a member of staff in here, he was he was the first person I thought of, and has you know carried on all those characteristics, mannerisms in the in the job he's got now. Um, and I think that the the group is is seeing the rewards of some of his work, not just him alone. There's a great group of staff around him, um, uh, the age groups above and below, and and all the support staff. But it needs someone to to point everyone in the right direction and that's Trav's job is to kind of align everyone
0: well he's lead coach of the under 18s right but also he's with the under 14s the under 16s So is that important to have those players seeing the same faces with the same responsibilities as they get older and progress? So it's not like, I guess, at school, as you get older, you get a different teacher each year in each class and so on. But that's not what's happening here.
2: It's really important. There's got to be continuity in the way we play, the messages that we give, the standards that we try and keep. So Trav's role sees him overseas, 14s to 16s, and then he leads the under 18s which is the 17s and 18s together isn't it so there's that nice piece of continuity but also we've got other staff that do the same so Mark Dempsey will be working up and down the age groups Justin Cochran working up and down the age groups and really importantly for me kind of I've got three people overarching the coaching programme so the little ones at nine and the oldest at 23 I've got Eamon Mulvey Travis Binion Justin Cochrane. it's so important that the three of those are aligned So's messages are consistent and we're all looking for the same things and we're recruiting the right types of player and we're, we're giving off all the same messages. It's so important. It's got to be a, a seamless journey. It's got to be joined up from beginning to end. But at the same time, it can't look the same. So what a nine year old needs and a 23 year old needs are completely different. So at the beginning, aim was just helping kids to fall in love with the game, fall in love with the club develop amazing ball mastery, learn about their bodies, have an amazing time, make some mates and just, you know, have a dream. By the time they get to 23, it's got to look a little bit like the first team or a lot like the first team. So all of a sudden now we've got a sports science team wrapped around them, psychological support, video analysis. The training programme will look really similar to the first team. They're probably more tactical at the end than we are at the beginning. So it's important that there's a common theme but we have to slowly kind of evolve through the age group so, so that we don't give everybody too much too soon because you give a nine-year-old everything, they're going to get bored, confused, fed up. It doesn't help. So you've got to, half the challenge is to work out what not to give people and
0: slowly layer it in as, as you go. We've having a look at the squad for the FAU Cup final and there's like we were talking about earlier, it's a real blend. There are there are people that are local to Manchester, there's people that are from slightly further away in England that have been in mm-hmm. academies in the south and then players from all over Europe and players like Arnacho, who's we're now seeing on the bench of the first team. Mm-hmm. Is that a representation of how you want the squads to look throughout all the age groups, or is it more a realistic representation of what it will look like as the players get older because you can scout further?
2: Um, so I think there's two things at play when you're trying to build groups. Um, one is I think that the best Manchester United youth teams and the best Manchester United teams have always been a combination of a core of local people who know what this club means, what it means to the community, knows what the expectations are. And their job is to teach people arriving, this is how things are done around here. and then But the people arriving... I've got to arrive with, hey, and by the way, I'm going to learn from you and understand this club pretty quickly, but I'm bringing with me innovation and stuff that you might not have seen before and different ways of doing things. I don't know if you can think of good examples of that, but but he used to say, the class of 92, when Eric Cantonar arrives, it's exactly that. We're going to show you what it means to play for Man United, but you're going to show us what it means to train twice a day and to maybe eat
1: the right foods and all that. Yeah, absolutely bang on. I think it's vitally important to that. You have different cultures because you know that that's the way the world is now. But um, but youth team kids, as you say, you go to your sixteens, eighteens. When when do you think keeping with the twenty threes? Because the twenty threes is quite a, a late age yeah. to get into football. Who who makes the decisions for the loans and yeah? So okay. you got Jimmy Gan now down at North Forest, who's absolutely yeah flying. Who makes those decisions then? Because there's not, you can tell us how many kids are out on loan now. So we've got, uh, we're into double figures. I think we've got maybe 12 boys out
2: on loan who are academy players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There have obviously been some senior players who are out and about. But in terms of boys on that development journey, I think there's 10 or 12. Um, We keep our under-23s purposefully young. Yeah. So our average age is around 19, take Paul McShane out of that it gets a bit younger <laughs> but our average age is, is, is young because we want our boys to play at stretch we want the environment to be difficult because that's the only way that you get better if we kept all of those boys that are out on loan in the building we might win the league with yeah. that group of players means nothing well, we yeah. wouldn't have developed Individuals, So you have to take that educated hit on, okay, we're going to stretch ourselves and it might get a little bit too much at times. You'll have seen that. You've seen some of our teams have tough days at the office, but that's cool. We like that. That's where learning takes place. So we keep the 23s young, keep the 18s quite young as well, actually. And then the rest of the boys go out on loan. So you've got um, Jimmy Garner's, Deshaun Bernard's, Dylan Levitz. If I try and list them all, I'm going to upset somebody. But that decision is predominantly made between a group of people so myself and Darren Fletcher really are going to be the guys that make the final call but we will sit as a group um, to try and have the debate around what are we trying to achieve what do these boys need what skill is it they're trying to develop which would be a really good club for them to go to obviously all of the coaching staff feed into that and then Les Parry as our loans manager is the guy that helps us to match player to club so he'll be going out Thinking about the environments that the different clubs are creating in terms of yeah. who's their manager, uh, what style of football do they play, what is the makeup of their squad. If we can then match a player with the right club, once they're away from us, it's really important that it doesn't feel like they've left us. So Les and his team, plus a lot of the guys that are left back here at Carrington, are offering ongoing support in terms of video analysis. Just conversations on the phone, Um, making sure that they've still got the right food, making sure that the player care team is making sure that they've got the right place to live and that they can get backwards and forwards. So the the support is ongoing. Having said that, though, you still want them to have the experience of what it means to play for another club. So you you have to remove yourself a little bit because you want them to stand on their own two feet, know what it's like to have to look after themselves and, and be a professional. Um, But you'd put them into a club with the specific aim of teaching them something, a skill that they don't currently have or or help them to face some experiences. So for Jimmy Garner, facing um, big crowds at a club that's won a European Cup.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
2: they're going for promotion he will be learning things there that he wouldn't have learned in our under 23s that hopefully will equip him for whatever the next bit of his career looks like
0: you mentioned Paul McShane obviously he came on the podcast and told told us all about his journey and what he's doing now so I guess his experience is excellent and
1: Neil would you play? for the club I thought with Woody? yeah Yeah. Um, what do they bring to the what do they bring to the coach having played for the club as well so I think the
2: 23s is really different from what it used to be it's not the reserves yeah. It doesn't look like that anymore. It's not that mixture of senior players and young players. It's the finishing school f- for the academy, really. It's the final stage of your development before you either go and join into that first team squad, which is what Anthony Langer has done, or before you go out on loan, before you come back, which is hopefully the journey that mm-hmm. James Garner's on. So it's really important that that's our last opportunity within the academy to make sure that we've got the kids prepared for their first senior opportunity, wherever that may be. Paul McShane, obviously, as a former player and, you know, was only playing very recently. We brought him here with a specific role of training every day, leading by example, raising the tempo. But to have Neil Ryan, Neil Wood around that group and leading that group is really important. They understand the club. Um, They've been here for a long while, you know, and they're they're talented coaches. So it's that group of people there of really going to be picking up the youth team that play at the FA Youth Cup final, they'll be picking that group up and just putting the finishing touches on them before they move on. So it's uh, yeah, really important. And obviously, um, they had a, a wonderful run in the in the Youth League, the Champions League equivalent, mm-hmm. uh, under-19s earlier in the season where we went out to, to Dortmund. But it, that game was very much what we were talking about. It was showing them European opposition, floodlights, crowds. They had a really good cut run with some wonderful, wonderful victories along the way. So it's, uh, let's not just let the Youth Cup take the limelight. I think no, that was a really okay. important experience for the, for the group as well.
0: You mentioned the average age of the 23s The average age of the final squad in the FA Youth Cup final is uh, 12 and a half years old. Oh, in which they joined. So they joined us, yeah. They okay. joined. So yeah. there's four players that joined from the under uh, under nines. Yeah. Then four as schoolboys before yeah. in the under 14s. Six then joined from other clubs. So for those players, their experience is all slightly different, but they've all been hugely involved in the academy. Yeah. How difficult is it for you when you've got like, so you've got four that have come from under nine, and that, it, mm-hmm. in my head, it feels impossible that mm-hmm. four people could survive that long, not because the environment is difficult but because as we've mentioned the resources are so big so to continue on that path I guess for you is amazing when that happens but is it difficult when you have to make those decisions at age groups about when players are staying and when they're going?
2: Yeah, so there's some widely held myths around what talent looks like and I think the culture at the moment whether it be out in the ether or on Twitter or wherever it might be is that you, the superstars, we've got to get him at nine and then the, the nine-year-olds will all play in the first... It just doesn't look like that. Mm. Some of our nine-year-olds might go the whole journey. But talent looks different and comes in different packages, different shapes and sizes, and will arrive in equal measure throughout the journey. So our job here really is to make sure that there's as many entry points to our programme as possible. What comes with that is exit points as well which we'll talk about but it's really important to me that we're constantly assessing potential and working out where boys are at to help shape what that final youth team group looks like so I'm quite proud of the fact that it's a nice mixture of boys that have arrived and in fact if you go to recent debuts I always think that's a great benchmark so you go recent debuts are Will Fish joined us at nine the beginning of the journey uh, I think Schola joined us from another professional club at 10 or 11. Uh, you've got Hannibal joined us at 16. Anthony Alanga joined us from grassroots football at the age of 11. Zidane uh, and 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 Charlie Savage, again, would have joined us through our pre-academy programmes at nine. And going through. Well, I think it's a really lovely blend of, yeah. like, we don't all take the same route to become experts. In any walk of life, you take different journeys to get there. And some kids will go on alone and some kids won't go on loan. Some arrive early, some arrive a bit later, some will have a knock back, some get released from somewhere and reappear somewhere else. Our job is to make sure that we keep our eyes wide open to all the different journeys and help all of the different types of potential talent find their way to where they rightly deserve to that's, that's a brilliant
0: analysis how yeah. you've just done all that. Yeah. So good. I so good. have wondered this relentlessly because mm-hmm. under nines, as a layman at best, is a description of myself as someone looking at players. <laughs> at best, under none, I can see how you can clearly see which players are better. Yeah. Because they're so young, some will just naturally stand out. Mm-hmm. But then once you get into, say, under 14s, for example, mm-hmm. and everybody's been in academies and you're playing other academies and you're looking out for talent, how hard is it, or easy in your case, to spot the talent that you go, that could be a Manchester United player? Because is that what ultimately it convinces you to bring somebody in that you think they could make the first team? Or is it that looks like a really good player. We think they'd fit the academy because how, those the details must be so fine yeah. when you're, everybody's good and young. It's not easy.
2: And the first part of really good talent development is accepting that it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no science to it. You, I think over time, the longer you're in it and the more players you see, you can slowly kind of narrow the margins of a really, really educated guess and you get better at it. And of course we can bring in the video analysis and psychological screening, and we can bring all sorts of data, physical testing. We've got all of that available to us, but a large part of it is not just evidence and data, it's craft and craft is gut instinct or expert eye. And it's not easy. And we'll quite often we'll get it wrong. Um, quite often we get it right. But I think the premise with which we build our academy is based very much on we don't know. Because the second that you suggest that you do know is when you let people down. So if the, if the way that we present is here and now, you're a highly talented young man, you're a high potential performer and we really want to spend some time with you we want to help you be the best player that we possibly can be right if you start making promises or you jump to conclusions too quickly it's not helpful I've got to be realistic with parents and boys this is really hard and we're going to keep working together and this journey will go on for as long as it's going to go on but it's going to be the process is going to be amazing that's a much healthier view to take and I'm not going to pull you out of school to coach you when you're Nine, because do you know what? We don't know how this unfolded. Now, a lot of maybe less experienced people live on the basis that we know. I can tell you exactly which of the, well, you don't, no mm. one does. Sometimes it's easy to claim you did retrospectively, but for every nine-year-old that went right the way through the program, there were some others that didn't and actually, at the beginning of the journey maybe you, you weren't quite so clear it's just easy looking backwards so i just think it's a really healthy approach to take is the honest authentic approach with everyone that hey this is going to be great fun right now you're really high potential we're going to spend a load of time together helping you improve showing you some amazing stuff that's going to enrich your life and over time we're going to keep reviewing where you're at um because it isn't an easy thing to do having said that uh, we're not novices. Well, I've got experts. We've got a lot of people who've got a really good eye for a player. So it's just getting that really healthy balance.
0: I don't know if you can hear this on the mics. If I turn this up, you might. Is that, does this do volume in this room? It hasn't done anything. I turned the switch down. I thought it would <laughs> offer volume. And it doesn't. Incredibly, I'm carrying on. I'm not stopping. To keep this in. Uh, incredibly appropriately on the pitches behind us, a load of uh, little kids. How would you? Uh, you'll have a better eye for this. These guys. They look are, very young.
2: These guys are just coming up to the age of nine. so okay. These are the the group of boys that will sign their first registration with us.
0: And right um, now the they are, the are just smashing balls about, and they look like they are having the absolute best time. Yeah. And the, I mean, he's. I've only seen him kick the ball twice, and he's better than I've ever been. And I've spent my entire life dedicated to trying to be good at football. So <laughs> I'll get over yeah, it. That, that's <laughs>
2: exactly as it should look. Big smiles. Yeah. There's no overbearing coach there, kind of being too rigid. No, they just We've have. We've got all the time in the world to get. They've just got to fall in love, have a great time, make Absolutely. a few mates, yeah. and, and mess around and try a few. But there's a goalkeeper trying a bicycle kick, there, That'll <laughs> any there that will be a there. Why not? Think.
1: Do you know what? Do you know? Is that remind me of Dan? Is um, Kasper Schmeichel? Yeah, because when when the. The Mad Muller used to come in here training and stuff like that. Casper would be walking around, lashing balls around and yeah. doing overhead kicks and setting the treadmill to the fastest speed he would go and try, yeah, yeah. try to <laughs> try to run up it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's just unique with goalkeepers. There's all manner of different sized goals. And you told us earlier about the various technologies
0: and um, I guess range of ways you can test a player at a young age. Is that like, is innovation a focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I... I see my job
2: as trying to hold that tension between: Hey, you better know what came before us. You better understand what what characteristics this club built or or, or demonstrated between '58 and '68 mm-hmm. to do what we did in terms of recovering from tragedy to win a European Cup, in terms of resilience and 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 never say die, and you know togetherness and found. You better understand all of that. But at the same time, we can't live in the past. So we've got to think about, well, what's the game going to look like in the future and how am I going to prepare players for the future? So we have to make sure that everything we do, we're constantly just trying to make sure that we can take it up a notch. So um, we have had to think about the types of staff. I've got to bring staff from outside. you remember when we talked about incoming players they're going to have some incoming staff so bringing Justin Cochrane to the club who's worked at Tottenham and England that's important he brings a different lens on youth development and then we have to start thinking about some of the different initiatives that we deliver in terms of uh, I don't know if you've seen but the, the whole pro experience it's not alone but it's getting kids at 17, 18, 19 out of the building to go and spend a week with a, with a first team N- not with the expectation that they'll play just with the expectation that they'll go experience what it's like in professional football for a week and then come back and present to everyone else to say, wow, these are the things I learned. It's just a stepping stone before alone. So we regularly got to think about different ways of how do we evolve the program? How do we evolve the staff? We've built um, a really robust team of psychologists and clinical psychologists. We're building a really robust team of sports scientists. We're constantly trying to evolve medically. We're looking at where can we go in the world to try and play games who can we try and play against what different formats of competition can we, can we have in order to try and stretch the players challenge the players and, and, and put them in a, in a spotlight that helps us learn more about them so that is massively part of the job is to try and keep moving forwards at the same time as remembering
1: what came before You touched on the, the, the FA Youth Cup coming up in a couple of weeks from there there could actually be a couple of lads making it into to the first team, first team squad. Mm-hmm. How do you prime that player to be ready to to walk out Old Trafford in front of, what, seventy four, seventy five thousand 75,000 fans? So I think it's constant messaging. It's preparing boys for
2: the opportunity in the knowledge that you don't know what that opportunity looks like or when it might come. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be ready. So in terms of you, you can't afford to have not bothered you know getting good rest and sleep and, and nutrition and hydration last night because your opportunity doesn't often look like out of nowhere plucked out of nowhere to be put at Old Trafford to start a game your opportunity is we need a youth team player to make up numbers in the first team today. Mm-hmm. over you come who's it going to be and you're not expecting it you've got to be ready
1: or it's I'm, I'm, I'm um, looking at like Marcus a few years ago yeah, yeah. making his debut coming off the bench going yeah. against Arsenal and you think wow yeah yeah, he he, exactly he that. the nettle and he thought that was it. It's it was it was brilliant. That's the prime example, isn't it? It's about without
2: knowing what it looks like, being ready when it comes your way. So Marcus never could have predicted that he was no. going to be in that team on that night. Right up until the warm up, I wasn't here yes. then. But Marshall
0: got injured, didn't
1: he? In yeah. Yes.
2: So there's a sequence of events even on that night that goes, you're in, son. And you can't suddenly turn on excellence. You can't no. suddenly be ready just because you choose to be. You've got to have behaved in a way over a series of days, weeks, months, years, that means that you have prepared yourself for that unexpected moment that mm-hmm. comes your way. And so it's about teaching the boys. Over time, Like we accept that these little ones down here are not going to necessarily be eating the right food all the time it's okay yeah. to be known and go to McDonald's and all that sort of stuff yeah. but at some point in the journey you've got to realise that you know there's an element but it's of professionalism well. yeah
1: but I think it's where, where you touched it earlier on where you actually mentioned the fact that Marcus will probably be the best in these team mm-hmm. so you set him another challenge yeah. and he's gone from the youth team to yeah. the reserves or under 23s whatever yeah. into the first team they're the transitions that you, yeah, yeah, you just can't for a for a football, you you can never put yourself in that position until you're in that position. Yeah, and it's either sink or swim. Yeah, he could have come on and folded and thought it's too yeah, big yeah. for him. Yeah, but he didn't. and That's happened, isn't it? Yeah, of course, that was, Yeah, yeah. It's for me. It's about I got to show them as much stuff that looks
2: a little bit like like the end goal. So mm-hmm. they it, what they can't afford to do is be faced with an experience they've never seen before, which is you know when I go back to. Um, talking about the variety of experiences I've got to expose them to. When they step over the line at Old Trafford, you can't be surprised by the formation that the opposition are playing or the scoreline or I'm not used to losing or we've just had a man sent off or I'm now playing on a booking or we've gone into extra time or this is a two-legged game, just a minute, what does that mean for a- I got to have shown them all of that stuff. Now, I can never quite replicate what it looks like to no. do it at Old Trafford. But you can't be walking on going. I've never seen anything that looks like. This. So the youth cup is that perfect kind of stepping stone towards. This is what it might feel like to make your debut. This is how it might fit as watered down version of. So they got the um,
0: they got suits tailored yeah. for the final, right? Yeah. So I guess that's a, a similar experience that that leads you to that
2: point. Maybe it's a great example. Although I'll make uh, kind of for a point of clarity, we didn't just make suits for the final. We made a decision. This year, at the beginning of the season, that we would wear suits. Why would we wear suits? Because that's what our predecessors did. The badge, the blazer. Knowing what the badge means. Knowing what it means to represent your football club. We might not have got knocked out in the first round. We were still going to wear suits. We'd not just put suits on for the final. But it's all those things. Who else has worn this blazer before you? What did it feel like to be presented with your blazer? So it's it's that kind of historical piece. But yeah, you're right. Putting your blazer on. Walking out at Old Trafford. I don't know what the ticket sales are at the moment but they're increasing they're going to be significantly higher than than previous rounds playing under floodlights being at Old Trafford just feels really different from a Saturday morning here at Carrington you know 11 o'clock kickoff. so it's just I'm showing them some stuff
1: that might just about prepare them for for the end game I think that as well mentally for the opposition to see Manchester United walk through them gates everybody looking immaculate the Italians used to do they yeah, love yeah. the dogs, yeah, yeah. and it, there was a fear factor, so yeah. to speak, of them yeah. because they looked like a team. We get that
2: feedback as well. So we've like it's not just the youth team. If we if we go on tour with our younger age groups, we don't put the kids in suits, but the staff will go in suits, mm-hmm. and everyone always comments about, "Wow, Man United, Benchmark. they look class." Yeah. And you've scored a goal before you've even got on the pitch because people are like, look who's just arrived here. Uh, you understand. won't win or lose us the game, but it's, you, you know, uh, but it's Except for me, it's about as well. the detail. Yeah, yeah there's an element yeah. Of, of, yeah. of feeling good about yourself on yeah. yeah. arrival. So.
0: Unfortunately, this joyous session yeah. is going to have to come to an end. So I want to ask you one last question. So, looking out at all these kids here having the time of their lives, if we pick any one of them, their parent will have their own expectation and understanding of what success means for them yeah. and then the players as they get older if these guys reach 16, 17 and they're still in the academy they'll have their own view of what success is yeah. the club's manager will have a view of what success is from the academy presumably on the players that are getting into the team but for you as the head of the academy what's your definition of success here? You talked about the pressure I'm under i
2: got to keep helping young players be part or the core of a successful first team if boys can't be part of a successful Man United team the next best thing is I want them to go and have a really wonderful career we've got loads of examples haven't we of boys that have gone on win the Premier League at other clubs so set them up um, for a career away from, from Manchester United if I turn up with that sole focus and that's my only focus these boys are going to be really miserable so the way I look at it is this that debuts and playing in our first team and playing professional minutes has to be a byproduct of an amazing childlike experience one that enriches your life that you'll remember forever that when you leave here you will say I'm a better person for my association with Man United than I ever could have been had I not pulled on a red shirt or joined the academy and when I look at parents I can't promise first team debuts, I can't promise it football careers. I can point towards some stats that say your chances go up significantly if you join here. But the only thing I can promise is I'll help you be the best footballer you you can be. You have an amazing time in the process. You're gonna remember it for the rest of your life and your child will be enriched through hanging out with us on a regular basis, which is the journey that those little lads out there have have just, just begun.
0: It's been amazing. Beautiful. Thank you so much.
2: Pleasure. I enjoyed it. You set me up with a big bill in there about how good I was going to be. So <laughs> I hope I lived up to it. But thank you. It's good fun.
1: Well, that was amazing. Very good. Great insight. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, from a nine-year-old coming in, the journey that a nine-year-old has up to first team, giving them the knowledge of not just not, not just to be a footballer, Bachelor to be a, you know, a good human being as well. Um, I think it's very, very good. I really enjoyed it, I did. Me too. Can I you did. imagine being in, because obviously you didn't get that environment. Is there a part of you now that wishes you did? So you'd be going back to 1983. So you're going back 40 years, 39, 40 years when I, when I first started my journey. So um, we had no academy players then or academy systems. It was a case of train under streetlights. If you're good enough, you'll get an apprentice. Sorry, you'll get a schoolboy. And and that progression, but now, when you look at the facilities the lads are, and, the, and the girls down there training, they've got absolutely the best of everything. Yeah, which it's is amazing, which is brilliant. It is because you want them to to have the best facilities, and obviously you know a Manchester United, that's what they do. They get the best.
0: I suppose also all the stuff they don't have to do, like the the speakers they bring in, Holocaust survivors, astronauts,
1: and so on is it's amazing well it's really part of life isn't it you know some some kids don't probably would never experience anything or even speak about it so it's just lessons in life that that you get taught and um, you know Manchester United covers every single angle
0: I think that was genuinely brilliant and, and just it was so positive
1: yeah and I think you finished it off by finally saying what it actually means to be a Manchester United player yeah. and to wear that badge and you know you're looking at young kids down there If one out of them make it, they'll be the proudest person, the proudest kid ever right
0: uh, we've got an email here from uh, Peter Parkington. not for the first time thank you for listening as always Peter he says dear HMS United as with many died in the Red fans this has been a painful season to watch in the men's first team fortunately I have Helen Maisie and Sam as an antidote to my current malaise that two-parter with Steve Koppel was a riveting listen and there was so much about his career that wasn't even covered I was reminded of the teaching from my mum that was the truly great don't need to tell you you see it I was mesmerized by his humility once again thank you for helping me make it through the Week. That's from Peter Paddington. Peter, thank you so much for
1: listening. I mean, a lot of people really enjoyed the Steve Copper one, didn't they? I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've had many people come up to me um, over the last you know, 10 days saying how good it is. It's brilliant. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. I was hanging on to every word he was saying. It's fascinating. So good Yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: brilliant. Really good. Uh, so, thank you very much for listening again. We'll be back next week with another one for you. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. The address is United Podcast at manunited.co.uk. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye. See you later.